0: Chapter Twenty-Two of the Rainer Slade Amalgamation by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Twenty-Two. Thick Fog. It was half past eleven when Allerdyke reached Gresham Street. By half past one, so curiously and rapidly did events crowd upon each other, he was in a state of complete mental confusion. He sat down to lunch that day, feeling as a man feels, who has lost his way in an unknown country, in the midst of a blinding mist. As a weaver might feel, who is at work on an intricate pattern, and suddenly finds all his threads inextricably mixed up and tangled. Instead of things getting better and clearer, that morning's work made them more hopelessly muddled. Chettle was hanging about the door of the warehouse when Allerdyke drove up, his usually sly look was accentuated that morning and as soon as allerdyke stepped from the cab he drew him aside with a meaning gesture a word or two before we go in mr allerdyke he said as they walked a few steps along the street look here sir he went on in a whisper i've been reflecting on things since i saw you last night of course i'm supposed to be in hull you know but i shall have to report myself at the yard this morning can't avoid that and I shall have to tell them why I came up. Now, it's here, Mr. Allerdyke. How much or how little shall I tell them? What I mean, sir, is this. Do you want to keep any of this recently acquired knowledge to yourself? Of course, if you do—well, I needn't tell any more there, at headquarters, than you wish me to tell. I can easily make excuse for coming up. And, of course, in that case— well demanded allerdyke impatiently what then chettle gave him another look of suggestive meaning and taking off his square felt hat wiped his forehead with a big colored handkerchief well of course mr allerdyke he said insinuatingly of course sir i'm a poor man and i've a rising family that i want to do my best for i could do with a substantial amount of that reward you know mr Ellerdyke. We've all a right to do the best we can for ourselves, sir. And if you're wanting to follow this affair out on your own, sir, independent of the police, eh? Allerdyke's sense of duty arose in strong protest against this very palpable suggestion. He shook his head. No, no, he said. That won't do, Chettle. You must do your duty to your superiors. You'll find that you'll be all right. If the police solve this affair, that reward'll go to the police, and you'll get your proper share. No. No underhand work. You make your report in your ordinary way. No more of that. I. but do you understand, Mr. Allerdyke? said the detective anxiously. "'Do you comprehend what it'll mean? You know very well that there's a lot of red tape in our work. They go a great deal by rule and precedent, as you might say. Now, if I go to the yard—' as I shall have to, as soon as you've done with me, and tell the chief that i found this photo of your cousin in Lindenberg's watch, and that you're certain that your cousin gave that particular photo to Mrs. Marlowe, alias Miss Slade. Do you know what'll happen? "'What?' asked Allerdyke. "'They'll arrest her within half an hour,' answered Chettle. "'Dead certain.' "'Well?' said Allerdyke. "'And—' "'What then?' "'Why—' "'It'll probably upset the whole bag of tricks,' exclaimed Chuttle. "'The thing'll be spoiled before we've properly worked it out. See?' Allerdyke did see. He had sufficient knowledge of police matters to know that Chuttle was right, and that a too hasty step would probably ruin everything. He turned towards the warehouse. "'Just so,' he said. "'I take your meaning. Now, then, come in, and we'll put it before my manager, Mr. Appleyard.' "'I've great faith in his judgment. "'Let's see what he's got to say.' "'The two Gaffneys were waiting just within the packing-room of the warehouse. "'Allerdyke bade them wait a little longer, "'and took the detective straight into Appleyard's office. "'There, behind the closed door, "'he told Appleyard of everything that had happened since their last meeting, "'and of what Chettle had just said. "'The problem was, in view of all that, "'of the mysterious proceedings of Mrs. Marlowe the night before— and of what allerdyke had just heard at new scotland yard what was best to be done severally and collectively by all of them amber appleyard grasped the situation at once and solved the problem in a few direct words there was no need whatever he said for chettle to do more than his plain duty no need for him to exceed it he was bound being what he was to make his report about his discovery of the photograph and the writing on it that he must do but he was not bound to tell anything that allerdyke had told him he was not bound to give information which allerdyke had collected let chettle go and tell the plain facts about his knowledge of the photo and leave allerdyke for the moment clean out of the question allerdyke himself could go with his news in due course and wound up appleyard who had a keen knowledge of human nature and saw deep into chettle's mind Mr. Allerdyke would doubtless see that Chettle lost nothing by holding his tongue about anything that wasn't exactly ripe for discussion at present he repeated, "Let Chettle do his duty, not exceed it. That's it, agreed Allerdyke. You've hit it, Ambler. You go and tell what you know of your own knowledge. He went on turning to Chettle, leave me clean out for the time being. I'll come in at the right moment. Say not about me." Or what I've told you. And if you're sent back to Hull, just contrive to see me before you go. And as Mr. Appleyard says, I'll see you're all right anyhow. When Chettle had gone, Allerdyke closed the door on him and turned to his manager with a knowing look. That chap's right, you know, Ambler, he said. A false move, a too hasty step,'ll ruin everything. If that woman's startled, if she gets a suspicion, gad It's all mixed up about as badly as can be. "'Now, about these Gaffneys—' "'Wait a while,' said Appleyard. "'I don't know that we want their services just yet. "'I found out a thing or two that may be useful. "'About this man Rayner, now, "'who's in evident close touch with Miss Slade. "'By the by, you saw her at the Waldorf "'at half-past eleven last night, "'and I saw her come into the Pompadour at half-past twelve. With Rayner, and about whom we accordingly want to know something. I've found out through ordinary business channels that he does carry on a business at Clytemnestra House in Arundel Street under the name of Gavin Ramsay. And if we want to know more of him, I've an idea. You go and see him, Mr. Allerdyke, on business. I business exclaimed Allerdyke what sort of business he's an inventor's agent replied abblyard it's a profession i never heard of before but he seems to act as a go-between folks that have got an invention go to him he helps em about it helps em to perfect it patent it get it on the market you've a good excuse there's that patent railway chair of your man gank rogers been lying there in that corner for the past year "'and you promised Gank Rogers you'd help him about it. "'Put it in a cab and go to this Rayner, or Ramsay. "'There's your excuse, and you can say you heard of him in the city. "'From Wilmington's. "'It was they who told me what he was. "'It's a good notion, Mr. Allerdyke. "'What object?' asked Allerdyke. "'Simply to get a look at him,' replied Appleyard. "'Look here. "'You know very well that there's a strong suspicion against Miss Slade.' Miss Slade, to my knowledge, is in close touch with Rayner. Therefore, let's know what we can about Rayner. You're the man to go and see him at his own place. Do it, and we'll consider the question of having him watched by the two Gaffneys when you've seen and talked to him. Allerdyke considered this somewhat strange proposal in silence for a while. At last he rose with a look of decision. "'Well, I've certainly a good excuse,' he said." Here, have that thing packed up and put in a cab. I'll go. Half an hour later he found himself shown into a smartly furnished office, where Mr. Gavin Ramsay sat at a handsome desk, surrounded by shelves and cabinets, whereon and wherein were set out the products of the brains of many inventors—models of machines, mechanical toys, labor-saving notions, things plainly useful, things obviously extravagant. The occupant of this museum glanced at Allerdyke and the box which he carried with an amused smile, and Allerdyke said to himself that Appleyard was right in his description. If the man was crippled and deformed, he certainly possessed a beautiful face. Mr. Marshall Allerdyke said the hope of inventors, glancing at the card which his visitor had sent in. The same, sir, replied Allerdyke, setting down his box. Mr. Ramsay, I presume. I heard of you, Mr. Ramsay through Wilmington's, in the city. Heard you can be of great use to inventors. I have here, he continued, opening the box, a railway chair, invented by one of my workmen, a clever fellow. You see, it'd do away with the present system of putting wooden blocks in the chairs now used. This would fasten the sleepers and rails together automatically. It is patented, provisionally protected, anyhow, but my man's never got a railway company to try it, so far think you can do anything, Mr. Ramsay? The hunchback got up from his desk, took the invention out of its box, and carefully inspected it, asking Allerdyke a few shrewd questions about the thing's possibilities, which showed the caller that he knew what he was talking about. Then he sat down again and went into business details in a way which impressed Allerdyke. Clearly this man, whoever he was, and whatever mystery might attach to him, was a smart individual." Also, he had a frank, direct way of talking which gave his visitor a very good first opinion of him. Very well, Mr. Allerdyke, he said in conclusion, leave the thing with me, and I will see what I can do. As I say, the proper course would be to get it tried on one of the smaller railway lines. If it answers there, we can, perhaps, induce one of the bigger companies to take it up. I'll do my best. Allerdyke thanked him and rose. He had certainly done something for his man Gank Roger, and he had seen Ramsay or Rayner at close quarters, but Ramsay was speaking again. He had picked up Allerdyke's card and glanced from it to its presenter, half shyly. "You're the cousin of the Mister Allerdyke whose name's been in the papers so much in connection with this murder and robbery affair," I suppose," he said. "I've seen your own name, of course, in the various accounts." I am, replied Allerdyke. He moved towards the door, but he turned and looked at his questioner. You followed it, then? he asked. Yes, assented Ramsay. Closely. A curiously intricate case. Any solution of it present itself to your mind? asked Allerdyke in his brusque, downright fashion. Got any theory? Ramsay smiled and shook his finely shaped head. He, too, rose, walking towards the door it's a little early for that isn't it he said i've studied these affairs criminology you know for many years in my opinion it's a mistake to be too hasty in trying to arrive at solutions but he added with a shrug of his misshapen shoulders it's always the way of the police and of most folks who try to get at the truth things that are deep down need some deep digging for there's the question of the present whereabouts of nearly three hundred thousand pounds worth of jewels remarked allerdyke grimly. Remember that quite so agreed Ramsay, but your own particular and personal desire, as I gather from the newspapers, is to find the murderer of your cousin. Ah, said allerdyke, and it is got any ideas on that point? Ramsay smiled as he opened the door. I think he said. "'with a quiet significance. "'I think that you'll be having all this mystery explained "'and cleared up all of a sudden, Mr. Allerdyke, "'in a way that'll surprise you. "'These things are like warfare. "'There's a sudden turn of events, "'a sudden big event just when you're not expecting it. "'Well, good-bye. "'Thank you for giving me a chance with your man's invention.' Allerdyke found himself walking up Arundel Street "'before he had quite realized that this curious interview was over.' At the top he paused, staring vacantly at the folk who passed and repassed along the strand. "'I'd lay a pound to a penny that chap's all right,' he muttered to himself. "'He's not a wrong'un, unless he's damned deceitful. All the same, he knows something. What? My conscience! Was there ever such a confounded muddle in this world as this is?' but the muddle was a deeper one within the next few minutes. He crossed over to his hotel, and as he was entering he met Mrs. Marlowe coming out, fresh, dainty, charming as usual. She stopped at sight of him and held up the little handbag which hung from her wrist. "'Oh, Mr. Allerdyke," she said, opening the bag and taking an envelope from it. "'I've something for you. "'See, here's the photograph your cousin gave me, you were wrong you see there's no spot in it it's a particularly clear print look in allerdyke's big palm she laid the very photograph which according to all his reckoning was that which chettle had found within the cover of Lindenberg's watch End of chapter twenty two